On today's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. The USDA did a study of the percent of consumer spending that's spent on food. And out of the 104 countries that they surveyed, the United States was the lowest. That we spend the lowest amount of consumer spending on food, yet we're consistently one of the countries with the highest amount spent per person on healthcare. We don't truly understand the true cost of food because we're paying for that on the back end. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. Today's guest is Kyle Kohler of Wildway Foods. This was an absolutely fascinating episode. I have been wanting to do an episode like this for a while because I really want you guys to understand from a consumer standpoint how really hard it is for these food companies that are trying to do best by us for our health. The companies that are putting health over profit are having to go through so many loopholes and do so much extra work and deal with so many more logistics than the brands that are just putting out the crappy processed food with all the additives and all the garbage in it that are doing it the way that our food industry is set up right now. And unfortunately, it's just the way that things are run right now. It's why I always say it is so incredibly important that we put our money into the brands that are doing right by us because the more that we demand this with our dollars, the more that companies that are creating food are going to go, wow, consumers are spending so much money. Like consumers spent X amount of money last year in the regenerative space, which is telling us that people really want this. So where we put our money is where trends are going to drive. If you're unfamiliar with Wild Way, let's dive into them just a little bit. They are, from their website, building a healthier planet with better breakfast and snacks. They just introduced their planet-friendly oats, meaning that they're crafted from regenerative organic ingredients. Hopefully by now, you guys know how incredibly important regenerative farming is. We dive a little bit into it in this episode, but not too much because I've done so many episodes on that already. So if you're newer to the subject, I highly recommend going back and listening to earlier episodes. I also recommend you checking out the documentaries Kiss the Ground and Common Ground because it explains in depth how regenerative farming gets us back to nature, how it pulls carbon from the atmosphere and brings it back into the soil. Carbon is food for the soil and it creates a healthier soil. It creates healthier food for us, so healthier humans. And then also it is so much better for the animals. I absolutely love what Wildway is doing. Their oats are so freaking good. They come in a bunch of different flavors. They also have one that does not have any flavors or sweeteners if you want just plain oats. That's the original one. And then they also have a maple coconut sugar, which is so freaking good, uh, raspberry chia and banana nut. But they are all really simple ingredients. Like, let me read you the ingredients from the raspberry chia. There's no natural flavors in here. It's simply organic oats, coconut sugar, organic chia seeds, organic dried raspberries and sea salt. And that is it. It's beautiful. It's what you want an ingredient list to look like. It's real food. They also have their grain-free granola, which is so good. I love to put it on top of smoothies, on top of yogurt. It's also fun to put it on top of like a crumble, like use it as the crumble crust when you want to make like a peach crumble or something for dessert. They also have coconut chips and they have grain-free hot cereal. So I highly recommend checking them out. We have a link in the show notes if you guys want to check that out. So more about the episode, we really dive into the ins and outs of everything that goes on in the back end as far as food production goes. We talk about industrialized monocultural farming, which is where a lot of these larger food brands are getting their foods from to create their food-like products. We also talk about supply chains. We talk about industrialized manufacturing, distribution, retail exploitation, just all the hoops 
that these companies have to go through. And also too, it reveals so much of the corruption that's going on in our food industry right now that we need to clean up. And then we ended on a really high note with a lot of hope. So I just want you guys to know that it is not all doom and gloom, but we need to know that this is happening so that we know what to look out for. This is how we learn what brands we can support, what brands we want to support with our money so we can drive those consumer trends. I get asked all the time on my Instagram, how can we as the consumer be a part of the change? And this is how we be a part of the change. We educate ourselves on what the food industry looks like, the ins and outs of it, what to look out for. And then we find those brands that are actually doing right by us and right by our health and the brands that are more concerned about the health and not the profit. So with that, let's dive into the episode. As always, if you guys could take a moment to rate and review the podcast, it means so much to me. And it really, really helps the show. This is the only way that I can truly grow is if you share it and you leave a rating and review. So I appreciate your support so much. I just, I wish I could hug all of you guys listening. It means so much to me. I could never tell you how much it means. So thank you so much. Is it just me or is colostrum just totally taking the internet by storm? I I mean, I'm so happy about it. And it's so interesting how certain things will uh, just become a massive trend. I've been taking colostrum for probably at least 10 years now or so. My mom got me on it. It's an ancient practice used for immune function. It really helps to strengthen and bolster the immune system. And I will say Armra colostrum has really taken the internet by storm and for good reason. It is a really good high quality colostrum. I get so many DMs from you guys just specifically asking me if I use Armra colostrum. And yes, I do. I've been taking Armra specifically for almost a year now. I travel with it everywhere I go. I bring the little individual packets with me and I especially take it while I'm traveling because that's when we are most susceptible to getting sick. And you know what's really cool? There's actually a study that's been done comparing the effects of the flu vaccine and colostrum. And colostrum performed better in protecting the body from the flu. Isn't that wild? And this is a peer-reviewed study posted in a very well-renowned medical journal. So what is colostrum? It is the first nutrition we receive in life and contains all the essential nutrients we need in order to thrive. Armra is a proprietary concentrate of bovine colostrum that harnesses these 200 plus living bioactive compounds to rebuild your immune barriers and fuel cellular health for a host of research-backed benefits. Armor colostrum strengthens immunity. It ignites metabolism. It fortifies gut health. It helps activate hair growth and skin radiance. And I actually have seen um, all my little, I have all these baby hairs that have been growing since I started taking it. And it helps to power fitness performance and recovery. And what's cool is we have worked out a special offer for you, my audience, my listeners who I absolutely adore. You're gonna get 15% off your first order. So go to tryarmra.com slash realfoodology. That is T-R-Y. A-R-M-R-A.com slash Real Foodology or simply enter code Real Foodology and you're going to get 15% off. Again, that's tryarmra.com slash Real Foodology. Armra is A-R-M-R-A. Did you know that women can only get pregnant around a six-day window? I grew up thinking that women could get pregnant any day of the month. And I know so many women that got on the pill because they thought that they could get pregnant any day of the month. This is simply not true. And I personally didn't want to put synthetic hormones in my body, which is why I use something called Natural Cycles. It is the world's first FDA-cleared birth control app. The app's algorithm uses hormone-driven changes in body temperature to let users know when they're fertile or not fertile. 
And it's 93% effective with typical use and 98% effective with perfect use. Perfect use means abstaining from unprotected sex on red days. To put this into perspective, it's more effective than condoms alone and about the same effectiveness as the birth control pill. It's also important to note that no form of birth control is 100% effective. So how does it work? It was developed by scientists and is supported by clinical evidence, and it's based on hormone-driven changes in body temperature. The algorithm lets you know whether you're fertile or not fertile each day. A green day means you're not fertile and you're good to go. A red day means you're fertile and you need to use another form of protection or abstain. So all you have to do is first thing in the morning, take your temperature either with a thermometer or if you have a wearable like an Oura Ring or an Apple Watch, it automatically connects to your app, but you do not need a wearable. You simply just need a thermometer and to take your temperature first thing in the morning. If you would like to try Natural Cycles, go to naturalcycles.com, use code realfoodology, and you are going to get 15% off an annual subscription plus a free thermometer. Again, that's naturalcycles.com code realfoodology. This is an ad and natural cycles is for 18 plus and does not protect against STIs. Kyle, I'm so excited to have you on today. I'm so excited to dive into what I really want to talk about because I want my listeners to understand is the business side of running a business when you're trying to do it the right way. You know, there's a lot of people we're we're demanding better from our food system. We're wanting better food. We're wanting higher quality. But then there's this disconnect of the brands that are really trying to do it the right way, the way that the system is set up right now. And I want people to understand the corruption and the way that the system is set up. It is it is making it a really uphill battle. It is very hard for these brands to do right by by people's health. And I don't say that to discourage people. We're obviously going to give them a lot of hope. But anyways, I just want people really to understand like how amazing it is that a company like yours, like Wildway, is actually doing this because it really is hard. And I want to commend you guys for that. So thank you so much for coming on. And I'm very excited to have you here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to be on be on the show and talk about it. It's something close to my heart as well because it's 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 tough. It's very tough as as a small and medium sized as food manufacturer and food brand. It's tough to to do things the right way because everything pushes you um, to do it the wrong way, right? And we're we're fighting it from both sides, not only from the supply side, um, ingredient wise, and from farmers and growers and, and and that side, but also from the distribution and retail side, which I know you know a lot of the challenges to to getting a product through distribution onto retail. So it's it's the manuf- as a manufacturer and a brand we're you know, all of us are kind of stuck in the middle, right? Fighting it from both sides and 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 all the cost considerations and everything from both sides makes it incredibly tough uh, to really just even survive in, in the business. So, so yeah, it's, it's certainly a challenge. Yeah. Well, like I said, I really want to commend you guys for doing the right thing. I pulled this from, I think it was from your web, website. You guys, your mission basically is we're building a food system that goes beyond sustainable, connecting climate, health to human health through resilient, equitable, and regenerative business, which is so amazing. How did you get into all of this? How did you start Wildway? So we are we're an eleven year old company. So we celebrated our eleventh uh, year last month, and so I we kind of started you know, years ago. Um, I took a lot of things out of my diet. I did this well. I did this program at the time. It was called the Whole Nine. So right now it's more properly known as the Whole Thirty. Um, oh, I've never time, heard that. Was, yeah. So wow. at the time, but before it was the Whole Thirty, it was the Whole Nine. Um, and they had a, you know, uh, they had a book. And, and so I took all these things out of my diet and did some elimination diet, 
couldn't find anything to eat, right? Um, nothing, you know, it was, it, that's what really kind of opened my eyes to, man, there's most food is not made from real food. Like this is crazy. Um, so I really tried to, at the time, tried to recreate a lar bar, really, because it was like one of the only things on the market that was like just made with real food, right? Just fruit and nuts. And, and that was it. Um, and it ended up kind of crumbling. It didn't do very well, but it kind of ate like this granola concoction or snack and kind of made it for myself for a while. And uh, at the time I was in the accounting and finance world. So I was working a lot of hours, um, eating a lot of takeout, like, you know, eating at my desk, doing that whole thing and just not living a very healthy lifestyle at all. Um, and really wanted to do something that, that I felt more passionate about, um, that, that was, um, fit more my lifestyle. And so decided to just up into everything and quit that and moved back to Texas where I was from and chose San Antonio because I had family here in San Antonio and and had this concoction, this thing that I'd been myself for a while. And I said, well, let's see if this is something that that can sell. And so took it to farmers markets here in San Antonio and, and did really well. We sold out like within an hour of our first like two farmers markets. And and you're from San Antonio. So you, you know that San Antonio is not the epitome of no. health at all. Um, I would say so, it's the mecca uh, of the opposite. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all, all of things like Rico's cheese. Right. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I said, hey, if this can do well at the farmers markets here, then I think we might have something that can that can scale and do well. And so I uh, walked into Whole Foods offices one one day and just said, hey, I have a product that I think would you guys would enjoy and really like. And and uh, one thing led to another. We got on shelves at Whole Foods and soon HEB and some other retailers and, and things just kind of took off from there. So, yeah. Well, your brand has a special place in my heart because you're in San Antonio. And I grew up there, went to high school there, was born there. My dad was born there, like third generation San Antonio, Texas boy. So I love to hear that. That's so cool. And especially too, it's cool to hear because a lot of these brands are, you know, based out of like LA or, you know, where they're really in the health mecca. And so it's cool to see other people branching out because Lord knows San Antonio needs the help, you know? It's true. It's true. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So I want to, I want to start kind of breaking this down because I want people, like I said, to really understand. So where do you want to start first? Yeah. I mean, we can start from the farming side. 60% of the food that's grown in the U.S. is grown on monoculture industrialized farms and and the food goes to animal feed and ethanol. Like it's crazy, right? That over half of the food produced in this country, like we don't even eat. It's animal feed and it goes to ethanol production. Like that's wild. Um, And, you know, and 60% of it, and it's destroying the land, right? Those farming methods are just destroying the planet and destroying our soil. So something has to be done there. Um, And, and so that's, that's definitely a good place to start and a good, and a good place of of what what we're trying to do in the direction we're trying to take the business and supporting regenerative agriculture. And so I know that you've, you've talked with Gabe Brown, you've talked with Jordan, you've talked with some of these guys that are really behind a lot of the regenerative movement and some things that they're doing. And so it's, it's important for people to know, right, that that the reason why a lot of their food is so cheap is because a lot of those it comes from a lot of those industrialized monoculture crops that are subsidized by the government, right? And so um, that are coming from our tax dollars, by the way. Yeah. I like to remind people of that that we're the food is not actually that cheap. We're just paying for it on the back end here, and we don't even get a choice. Yeah, on, yeah, it's, on it's, the it's health crazy. Of yeah. And so, you know, the United States, I think the, the USDA did a study um, of the percent of consumer spending that's spent on food. And out of the 104 countries that they surveyed, the United States was the lowest, that we spend the lowest amount of consumer mm. spending on food. Yet we're consistently one of the countries with the highest amount spent per person on healthcare. Like there's a correlation there for sure, right? That we, yeah. we spend the lowest amount of our consumer spending on food, but the highest amount on healthcare, right? So we're paying for it. We're, we're paying for it on the back end, right? Um, the true cost of food, we don't truly understand the true cost of food because we're paying for that on the back end. 
Um, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And then we're yeah. also paying for it in our health and our energy. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're really paying for it in um, many ways. And then not to mention too, you know, with this industrialized monoculture farming, where you said the majority of our farming practices is this monoculture farming, it's absolutely destroying our land. And it, yeah. as a result, it's, in, it's, one of the driving factors of climate change, which I don't think people fully understand. We hear like, oh, cows farting, you know, whatever. I'm like, that is nothing compared to the destructive nature that we're doing with spraying everything with pesticides. We're uprooting the topsoil. We're not going to have soil left to plant in. I mean, this is a really big deal that no one's really talking about on a large scale. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. I mean, almost a third of greenhouse gas emissions globally come from food production, right? A third, mm. right? It's not coming from, you know, it's not oil, petroleum, all the things that you can talk about, right? But food production is almost a third of it. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, it's it's, a, it's things that not a lot of people are talking about. Um, but like yeah. you said, we're, 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 we're paying for it on both sides. Um, we're paying to destroy our own planet that we're living on. It's just crazy to think about, right? That's crazy. <laughs> it's, yeah, and then, it's a food system that's very backwards, yeah. Yeah, and then as a result, we're paying for it with our health. Also, so many people, myself included, are so concerned about the welfare of animals. And all, all of this could be resolved if we went back to nature, which is going back to regenerative farming, which is working with nature, working with the animals. It would improve all of this. Yes, yeah, yeah, and it's it's... And it's, I mean, it goes back to becoming really hard to do as a brand and manufacturer, right? Because it's so nascent right now. It's so new, you know, less than 1% of farmland in the United States is, are using these methods, right? Yeah. And so when, as, as we're trying to source ingredients and, and, and uproot our supply chain and change it to, to, to take on farmers and growers that are using these methods, we're really limited, um, not only in supply, but it, but in, but in the farmers and growers that we partner with. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so what happened, you know, what that does to us as a brand and manufacturer just adds an immense amount of not only cost, but also risk, yeah. right? Cause if there's, you know, we go from having two or three or four different, you know, farmers or suppliers to having one. All right. Mm -hmm. And if, so something happens to that one farmer's crop or that one crop rotation or whatever they're doing, you know, we don't have a product to sell. You know, I have to go back to retailers and say, hey, I don't have anything for a year because my one supplier that I'm using who's doing these, who's, who's doing things the right way, you know, weather happened, right? Or something outside of our control happened and 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 it could it 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 could end our business, right? And so it's those risks that we're having to kind of hedge and take on as we as we try to move this direction. But you know, it's 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 worth it because what if if not now, like then when, right? When are we going to yeah. try to make this change, right? And so um, it becomes tough. It becomes really tough on the supply side. And so we've we've changed our supply model a lot um, to work direct with a lot of farmers and growers. And our our supply chain has really gotten global as well. Um, as we've tried to look for people that are doing things the right way, we've had to look outside the United States. And so, you know, we're sourcing things from from all over the place, which again, it's not it's not ideal, right? I would much rather source everything here domestically. You know, yeah. but in order to find people that are doing things the right way, um, it's 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 increasingly difficult. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, what does that look like uh, when a you compare U.S. to other countries, like, are there more people doing it better outside of the U.S.? Because I know a lot of people say like, oh, Europe has it all figured out or, you know, these other countries have it all figured out. What does that look like from a distributor or from you trying to find these suppliers standpoint? 
Yeah, I think a lot of it too is crop dependent, right? And so a lot of it depends on where a lot of the crops are grown and the things that we're using. So, you know, a lot of our core products, um, they use a lot of nuts and dried fruit and tropical fruit, right? And so a lot of things that just aren't grown in the United States either. So we're talking yeah. coconut and bananas and pineapples, things like that, that we have to go source globally. Um, and, and a lot of those supply chains, you know, if you really look into the supply chain of things like coconut and, and tropical fruits and things, you know, equally really broken, right? Equally really broken food systems. You know, we've, you've got people that are deforesting land in these areas of the countries to, to mm. plant palm trees or whatever it may be, right? And and doing it with horrible labor practices. And so, you know, we have to really work to find people that are doing things the right way, right? And 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 regenerative and regenerative organic specifically um, really is a great validation step for us um, and a great verification step for us to ensuring that a lot of those people are doing things the right way. And so we've really kind of doubled down on regenerative organic certification and using the ROA, the Regenerative Organic Alliance, um, to to really verify a lot of these things. It was an alliance that was formed by Patagonia and Dr. Broners and, and a lot of Amazing. great people in the industry that have done some really great things on the supply side. And so um, they've kind of pioneered this movement to help to help, you know, to help people globally, like do things the right way. And so they've really helped that organization and certification has really helped us out a lot. Um, sourcing these things from people that are, are, are working on fixing a food system, not just domestically, but globally in ways that's also incredibly broken. Wow. That gives me a lot of hope. That's awesome. It's cool to hear that globally people are starting to pay attention to this and it's becoming a thing that everyone's really trying trying to all come together to fix. Because, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, what we do here in the U.S. is still going to affect the planet, you know, and vice versa, like globally. So this really needs to be a global movement that happens. Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. Yeah. So let's talk about exploitative supply chains because I know this is another one like with middlemen and labor practices. I know a little bit about this and it's one of the many reasons I encourage people to buy higher quality, buy organic because we don't think about the people actually on the farms being exposed to these really horrible toxic pesticides, synthetic fertilizers and how it's affecting their health. You know, this is also a, a human rights issue. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of really bro- broken supply chains out there, and it's it really stems from the company's drive to do things faster, easier, cheaper, right? Um, any way that they can do things faster, easier, and cheaper, um, they're going to take those shortcuts, right? And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why we strictly only source things globally from regenerative organic certified farmers. Um, because regenerative organic certification takes organic as a baseline, right? The baseline, you have to be organic, and then it adds on animal welfare and farmer welfare as well. So it takes into account ethics and farmer welfare, how they're treating their people and how they're treating the stakeholders in their supply chain. And so that we know that those supply chains are doing things ethically um, and aren't doing things the wrong way, right? And so it's it's it becomes incredibly important, especially in, in areas like Asia and South America and Latin America. There's a lot of really broken supply chains around a lot of these crops, but there are a lot of really good suppliers out there that are doing things the right way, um, working with NGOs and creating co-ops that are bringing smallholder farmers together um, to really create a difference. And, and so you can find them out there. And, and so those are the people that we choose to support. Yeah. That's amazing. I actually recently watched a new documentary from the the makers of Kiss the Ground. Maybe you've seen it called Common Ground. Have you heard of this okay. yet? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it is such a good documentary. I can't, I can't like talk about it enough right now. I'm just like, everyone needs to go see it. It's so important. And this is one of the things that they raised, they're trying to raise awareness around is that a lot of these 
workers that are picking our food, like picking blueberries, for example, they are hand picking all of these. And a lot of them are either illegal immigrants or, you know, people getting really, really low wages. They're being exposed to these toxic chemicals, like I said, really not being treated well at all because essentially they're seen as disposable because they feel like they can get away with it because, you know, they're illegal. And so these people are considered to be more desperate. And I don't think enough people are thinking about that. You know, I think like, we're so disconnected from our food right now. And part of my mission is to try to remind people that there's this larger thing happening and we're so disconnected from our food that we need to start thinking about these important things and really where we're putting our money because where we're putting our money is where we are supporting, either supporting those practices or we're supporting companies like your brand that are actually going out of their way and making sure that you're not paying like slave labor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, there's a reason why cheap food is cheap, right? There's a reason why it's priced the way it is. Um, and and so it's inherently, a lot of those things, you know that the food system is broken and the supply chain is broken, right? Um, if people are paying fair wages to their workers and to their farmers, um, that's going to be reflected in the crop and it's going to be re- reflected in the pro- product that's that that the end consumer gets in the grocery store, right? And so it's, it's, it's price really... Will, will tell a lot. Price will tell a lot. Um, it will. And so, you know, and, and and there's a lot of aggregators out there on supply chain, a lot of importers and aggregators that, that, that again, th- their goals is to make things faster, easier, cheaper, right? The more they can aggregate, the, the, the cheaper they can get it, the cheaper they can sell it, the more profit they can make. Um, and so that's why we've worked really, really hard to work direct with the farmers and the growers where we can as much as possible, because we know that like, this isn't going to be shipped to some middleman. It's going to be shipped to another middleman. It's being shipped to another middleman. But then by the time it gets to us, you know, God knows who's touched it. Um, and then at the same time, it's a lot more expensive. Product on the shelf is a lot more expensive. And so that's the way that because accessibility is really important to us as well. We want our products to be accessible to a larger consumer. I mean, I grew up in a, in a really uh, middle or middle class like household. Right. My mother was a teacher. My dad worked at a power plant. Right. It, it you know we have to make our products accessible to the people that really need them. And so that's always been been incredibly important to us and how we price our products. And so one way in the, which we can do that is, is cutting out a lot of those middlemen that are just going to increase our price um, and working direct with all the farmers and growers where we can and importing those things directly ourselves. It's more risk and it's a little bit more of a challenge. And logistically, it's a lot more complicated logistically. Um, working with, you know, instead of working with one, you know, aggregator or big importer and ordering all of our ingredients from one location, you know, we've got a dozen different ingredients that are coming from a dozen different places and a dozen different farms. It makes it, makes it logistically a lot more challenging. Um, but we know that it's being done the right way. It's being grown the right way, right way. No one's being exploited. Um, and at the same time, we can offer a product to consumers at a price point that's a lot more accessible. So it makes yeah. a lot more sense. Yeah. It's amazing. And, you know, it just, it's, I'm sure, fascinating for people to hear just how much harder it is, like all the loopholes that you guys have to go through, all the logistics of just trying to create a healthier for you product. It really is a lot of work. So, you know, we've brought up this notion of like bigger, cheaper, faster. And I was thinking about how, so there's this trend that I've started seeing on Instagram recently of people starting to call out. They're like, I don't understand why a product that has 37 ingredients is so much cheaper than a product that has like one or two ingredients. Can we talk people through this? Like what is happening there? Yeah, yeah. Um, It's crazy. That's crazy, right? I mean, so many of those ingredients... They're, just, they're not real food, right? They're additives. Um, they're they're in. They exist to make that food taste better. 
um, be be easier to digest, right? Be more flavorful. Maybe maybe they maybe it's in there to make it look a certain way, right? So why we have all these dyes and different things, or emulsifiers, and all of these crazy things, these guar gums, and these all all you know all of these things that just that you'd never be able to go out and find in the wild, right? Um, they're to make food more palatable, and they'll be able to make sell more of it, right? Um, you know, we've we've you know, we were a part of um, an incubator program um, at one point in time for, with a large company. And we're talking to them about some of their formulations and how they formulate products. And, and you know, they essentially straight up admitted, you know, to us, you know, for lack of a better word, that that they make, they formulate their products to make people want to eat more of them, right? They want people to finish the whole bag at one sitting because then they have to go back, back and buy it again, right? They specifically formulate the flavor, the taste, the, you know, they have people that sit around all day that work on like how much a chip crunches, right? So that they can get the exact perfect crunch of the chip and the flavor and the spice, right? So that someone ends up sitting down and eating the entire bag. And guess what? They're still hungry after that because it doesn't contain any nutritive value at all, right? So there, you have a lot of big companies that have whole teams that sit around and figure out how can we make this Someone sit down and eat this entire product in one sitting, so they'll have to go to the store and buy it again and again and again. Um, it's crazy. Um, it's just it's just wild, right? Um, it's crazy. Did you know that your nervous system plays a role in nearly every aspect of your health and well-being? No matter what you eat, how much you exercise, how skinny or young or strong you are, none of it matters if you are not breathing properly. This is actually a quote from James Nestor, the author of the book Breath. And I will tell you guys, this is something that I have realized in my own life. When I'm really anxious, I don't take full deep breaths. I take these really shallow breaths. And as a result, it only creates more anxiety. So really becoming aware of your breath and practicing breath work is the quickest way to shift your state and improve your mood. And you only need five minutes a day. I will tell you guys, this is something that felt super daunting to me. And I ignored it for a long time because I just thought, okay, this is too much for me. It's going to take too much time and it probably doesn't really work. But after downloading the app Open and using some of their breathwork classes and going through some of the meditations, I have to tell you that it is completely life-changing. Open is a science-based practice to help regulate your nervous system and it really does change your life. If you're a beginner, the app is really great because it helps you to learn different breathwork techniques to help you get to your desired physical and mental state. Also, if you're not a beginner, it's also just a great app to keep you accountable day-to-day. When we regain control of our operating system, we can unlock deeper sleep, better focus, less stress, natural energy, and overall vibrancy. I mean, it's truly life-changing. Where are my Andrew Huberman fans? I know there are a lot of you guys out there. He found that brief, brief meaning like five minutes of breath work, outperformed meditation for improving mood and autonomic regulation and lowering stress. So if you wanna reduce stress, get better focus, get better sleep, and you want to get on my daily routine, you can get 30 days free of open by visiting withopen.com slash realfoodology. Again, that is 30 days free by just simply visiting withopen.com slash realfoodology. That's W-I-T-H-O-P-E-N.com. I've been consuming collagen for about six years now. I like to put it in my morning drink, whether that's coffee or matcha I usually prefer coffee, but lately I've actually been doing coffee and then having a matcha a little bit later. I love to mix the collagen in with my nut milk that I put in my coffee. It's usually almond milk or coconut milk. And I'm so excited to announce that Organifi has their own collagen now. 
As with all Organifi products, it's glyphosate residue free, really high quality. It has hydrolyzed bovine hide collagen peptides that are derived from pasture raised cows. It also has eggshell membrane collagen. It's taken from the thin layer between the egg and the shell. And this is collagen rich and it may be beneficial for strong joint health. It also has hydrolyzed fish collagen peptides derived from wild caught fish. Because this collagen source is of a small particle size, it makes it easier to digest and more absorbable. And then there's also chicken bone broth protein concentrate in there. This collagen type is actually found in your gut joints and cartilage, and it helps support greater health both inside and out. Collagen is really good for lubricating the joints. It's also great for healing and sealing the gut. Often now because of our diets, people are dealing with leaky gut syndrome and collagen actually goes in there and helps to seal the gut. So if you're having any sort of leaky gut syndrome symptoms, collagen may be your best bet. It's also great for just replenishing collagen stores that diminish as we age and may help with wrinkles and keeping supple skin because collagen also is what keeps our skin elastic. So this is why I consume collagen. I love Organifi. I love all of their products. If you guys want to try any of the Organifi products for 20% off, you can use code RealFoodology or go to Organifi.com slash RealFoodology. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash RealFoodology. It makes me so mad. I've actually, I've brought up that point before, but I had never actually heard someone like actually admitting it, like a of company admitting that they do that. But we know they do this because, you know, like Doritos, for example, they have a full staff of people called food scientists that their entire job is to make this product hit that bliss point. Well, that bliss point means that you're going to make someone addicted to it. It fires all the neurons on your brain, you know, in your brain that similar neurons that flare off when you're eating or when you're taking drugs. You know, it has a similar effect on our brains. And what makes me so mad about this is there is a deception happening that so many people are offline to. There are so many people that do not even understand that they are addicted to these foods. And they are a part of this system that is not designed to provide any sort of nutrients or health value for them. And they think that they're getting food and they're not. They're not eating real food and they're a I don't want to say this, but kind of a victim of this like addiction cycle of like, okay, I just finished this whole bag of chips. Now I need to buy another one. And oh my God, it just makes me so mad. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and and it's, you know, it's, again, it's on the consumer side too. You know, consumers want their shopping experience to be faster, easier, and cheaper as well, right? And they don't want to take, they don't want to take the time. I mean, I geek out in the grocery store, right? I'm sure you do too. Like I, I love going and like taking the, you know, looking at the ingredients and what it's from and all, you know, I could spend hours, right? Um, but most consumers don't, right? They do, you know, I call it um, like when you doom scroll on your phone through social media, right? I call it doom shopping, right? Where they just go and they just like grab whatever they, you know, normally get without or just, or, or they, they rely on just marketing, right? Scheme to like figure out what to eat. Um, and it's crazy, right? I was in, this was a few years ago, I was in a, a Costco shopping and was over listening, you know, hearing a couple talk about so, so excited they were doing the keto diet. They had a friend do it and, and they lost a lot of weight and they were super excited about to do the keto diet. And I look in their cart and it's just like keto Oreos, keto chocolate, keto snack mix, keto. And like, there wasn't a single meat or vegetable in their entire car. I was like, oh my God, like, oh my gosh. Right. And it's just, it's, it's that culture of like this convenience that like, instead of actually looking at what these things are made of, they just see this you know, this dietary buzzword, like, 
that's that's it's got to be good for me or it's or it fits what i need it to fit and i'm gonna i'm gonna buy it um without actually taking the time to like sit there and look at like what's actually in the, what's actually in this product right um yeah you know to see that it's got more erythritol than it does cacao right or something exactly it's, 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 it's wild yeah it's wild well and it's you know it comes down to something as simple as we are living beings and those foods and boxes are are dead foods we want to be as living beings eating living foods because these are life-giving, life-sustaining. And, you know, I, I say this all the time. I'm I'm a realist in the modern world. I'm not saying like, go live on a farm, pick your own berries and eat apples from the tree. Like that's not sustainable for 98% of us, you know? But what I am saying is that like, we need to start really paying attention to the ingredients that are in these foods and start buying these packaged foods when we need them to fill in the gaps and look for the products like yours that are actually taking the care to create a quality food that's made from real food ingredients that you recognize. And that's what I love so much about Wildway is I look at the back of the ingredients and I'm like, oh my gosh, I could literally buy every single one of these ingredients here right here at the grocery store and make this if I wanted to, but thank God I don't have to because I don't have time, I'm busy you know? And so there, there has to be that like middle ground. And where do we reach those people that, how do we reach those people that are, yeah, like buying the keto stuff and just filling their cart with a bunch of boxes thinking that they're eating food? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it has to get buying from the entire system. Right. And so it's, it's, it's crazy because we've been approached, you know, in the past by a lot of retailers and, and what they'll say is, Hey, what, do you have any new keto stuff to, to you can make for us? Or it they're they're focused on the same things, right? What do you what do you have that's keto? What do you have that you can say that's no sugar added? Or what do you have? You know, and it, they're focused on the same dietary outcomes because their consumers are right, and so that's what they're focused on bringing in. So if we had buy-in from some of these retailers and said, hey, we, you know, we realize that this is this is a growing movement, but let's let's maybe focus on some real food ingredient things, or let's focus on let's give priority to products made using regenerative practices, right, or, or products that come from smallholder farmers. Let's let's make that a priority for our customers because then it bec- can become its own self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Customers start to see these things over and over again, and they go, oh. Okay, well, now I'm not seeing keto all over the shelf. I'm seeing regenerative all over the shelf. Like this must be like this must be what I need to be eating. Like this must be the new thing. Like it can be its own self-fulfilling prophecy, but we have to have buy-in um, from the powers that be, really, from a lot of the gatekeepers and the retailers and the distributors that whose job it is to get these things on their shelves and and in front of consumers. One hundred percent. And we also need we need the population as a whole demand better. I know someone very who was in the hospital pretty recently. And they called me and they were like, you would be absolutely horrified by the food that they're trying, like quote unquote food that they're trying to serve me. And they said that they asked one of the registered dietitians, they were like, how, like, what is your thinking behind this? Like you are a nutritional professional that went to school to learn how to feed people healthier, nourishing foods. And then, you know, here I am in the hospital and you're serving me jello and like packaged products that are loaded with sugar. You're handing me a soda, a Coca-Cola, when you know that diabetes is skyrocketing in this country. And you know what the registered dietitian's response was, was, well, you know what? People eat like this at home and we know that they're going to want their comfort foods in the hospital. So we can't really control it. Like they're demanding it and they're asking for it anyways. So we might as well feed them what they want. And I was horrified by that response because what makes me so mad about that is now we're making up excuses for people 
many times people don't understand or even know that the choices that they're making are as detrimental for their health as they are. So a lot of this starts with education. So while yes, people are demanding these quick fast foods, they are demanding these like, you know, highly palatable, highly caloric, like high sugar bombs, basically. At the same time, they don't know any different. They don't know that the harming effects that it's truly having on their body, like they're hearing a little bit, but I don't think people are really fully understanding. And also if we are giving them better options, they're going to be so much happier. We're not really helping people understand that like eating whole real food actually tastes amazing. And when you start feeling better in your body, it's all you want and all you demand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it goes back to, you don't know how much better you'll feel until you start feeling better. And then you go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I could feel this way, right? Because you're so used to feeling a certain way. You're so used to feeling crappy and feeling tired and lethargic. You just think that that's, this is the way it is, right? This is just how everyone feels. Um, this must be how everybody feels. And that's just not, that's not the case, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah so it makes yeah. me so mad when it comes from the, it's like this messaging I feel like that's come, it's trickling down from big food and they're telling people like doctors and registered dietitians to just tell people like, oh, this is fine. Like you can eat some processed food. Like it's actually an eating disorder to avoid processed foods and um, to eat all whole real foods. Like they're calling it an eating disorder. And then they're also telling them to tell their patients like, or they're telling them to approach their patients in a way where they're like, they're going to eat it anyways. So you might as well yeah, just let them yeah. eat it, you know? And it's like, why are we not encouraging yeah. people to eat better? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's another reason why it's, you know, another reason why it makes it hard for company like companies like us to infiltrate those systems because those large companies have contracts with a lot of those places. Right. Um, so I could go in and into a you know hospital system or to a, you know, a, a system like that and say, Hey, I would love for you to sell our products. Oh, well, sorry. We have an exclusive with Frito-Lay. Cisco like, or you know, like, like, yeah, you know, or, or, you know, whether you're on the distributor side or on the brand side and say, Hey, like we had, we can't because we have this exclusive with these other guys, um, you know, and they can pay for that exclusivity and we can't. Right. And so there's, it's just adds another, you know, adds another gate to the system of like where we, where we kind of get shut out um, because we don't have the deep pockets to do it. And, and those large companies do. So it's, it's tough. Oh, this makes me so mad. And this actually dives into distribution, which is another huge one that I wanted to talk about. So there's those contracts. And then also this was something that I learned more recently through a friend of mine who has a small food company as well. Let's tell people a little bit about, my friend was calling it the grocery mafia, basically saying that in order to even be on a shelf, you have to pay Maybe if you just want to people walk walk people through it, basically you have to pay like a broker and then you have to pay yeah. the grocery store. So let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. And so in order to get a product in, we'll call it a, a, na a national natural food store, we'll just leave it at that. Right? In order to get a product in a na national natural food store, um, you've got to get it to a specific broker. Or so they have a specific deal with a specific broker. Um, you've got to pay that broker a whole map, you know, number of fees up front, thousands of dollars in fees up front, just to get the broker to agree to take your product to then get it to the retailer. Um, and then once it gets to the retailer, um, a lot of retailers will require what's called free fills or and or slotting fees. So a free fill just means that you fill their shelves full, every store, you fill the shelf full of product for free. Like you don't get paid for it. So I have to, I have to give every store one or two cases of product for free um, without, without getting paid for it. Um, and then a lot of times some stores will require slotting fees on top of that. So on top of the free product, now I also have to pay 10, 20, 30, sometimes 50 to $100,000 just to have the opportunity 
to get my product on the shelf, right? This doesn't guarantee me like good shelf space. I can still be on the bottom. I can still be on the top. This doesn't guarantee me great placement. Um, it just guarantees me an opportunity to be on the shelf. It doesn't guarantee me even time on the shelf. A lot of times it doesn't guarantee me six months or a year. Um, it, there's no time. A lot of times stores won't give you any time guarantee. Won't give you any placement guarantee. Um, it's just a required fee up front. Right. And so companies like ours that do self-manufacturing and work directly with all of these farmers, you know, we've paid for those ingredients months ago. Right. And so not only are we not going to get paid for our first shipment to a new retailer, but we've got fees on top of that, on top fees, on top of fees, on top of fees. And so it makes, it's an enormous cash outlay for a company like ours just to get into um, a retailer, just to get into onto a retailer shelf, right? And then, you know, on the distributor side, you know, you we're locked into these distributor contracts in which you know the distributor buys product from us, um, but the distributor has no liability. If the distributor over orders product and something expires, guess what? The manufacturer, it's on us. We're paying for it, even though they over ordered and it's their fault. I'm still paying for it. If the distributor under orders and product doesn't get on shelf. We get charged fees, right? And so there's all kinds of fees that we get charged from the from the distribution side. All those costs come back to us. Um, in order to promote in stores, in order to get our product noticed in stores, it costs quite a bit of money. Um, and so, meaning like being know, on like the sh- like the end cap or something. I mean, not right? even on the end cap, right? And so, in order to, and most stores have gone to this model now. In order to simply run a sale, we have to pay an upfront fee of thousands of dollars. In order just to run a sale, so in order for me. To help the retailer sell my product, I have to pay a fee. Like it's call it two, three thousand dollar fee per time I run a sale, um, just to have the ability to put my product on sale. Uh, and then when it becomes on sale, some retailers will cut in, pay in some of that sale. A lot of them now have gone to a model where they don't even pay a portion of that sale at all. So if my product is a dollar off, not only am I paying for the dollar off, but a lot of times there's a fee an additional fee per every coupon redemption. So that dollar off might actually cost me like $1.25 or $1.50 on top of that um, because of the additional fees that get charged charged to it. And so, and yeah, and and, and you mentioned too. Yeah, in order to get my product on a side cap or an end cap to really get noticed, I mean, that's a potential six-figure payment just to get my product on an end cap or a side cap to get noticed by shoppers. Um, And so... A lot of that stuff just becomes really out of reach unless you do it at a really small scale. Um, and there's certain retailers now that won't let you do it at a small scale, right? They say, hey, you got to do this nationally in all of our stores or you're going to do it in none of our stores. And so I said, well, I can't. I don't have a quarter of a million dollars just to just for your store alone just to put my product on end caps um, to get it noticed. And so um, it because it, the, the, the distributor and, and retailer mafia is a really good way to put it because it's it's you have to be prepared to, to spend a lot of money. And, and that also plays into why products are so expensive on shelf, right? And so, you know, from a typical distributor to retailer model, um, from what it costs us to make the product in-house here at the manufacturer, it probably, you can probably triple or quadruple that to what the product is going to be on the shelf. So if you're seeing a product on shelf for say $10 on the manufacturing side, it's probably costing the manufacturer somewhere around $3 to actually make it. Right. It gets marked up that much to get to the customer, which is which is why and not all stores are like that. Right. There's some stores that have a more direct model. Costco is one of them. Um, right. Trader Joe's has a little more of a direct model. They have a different model for the, for their stores. But the majority of traditional broker to retail stores, the market that it takes the product to get to shelves is going to three or four X the cost that 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 brand is making it for. Um, which is crazy. It makes a lot of products inaccessible. Right. It's 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 a wild system. Yeah. 
That's crazy. I mean, that system should be illegal because at that point, how is any food company doing okay unless if they're freaking General Mills or Frito-Lay when they have millions to just do the end caps. And it also makes a lot of sense why every time you go to the grocery store, all the end caps are all the crap. Yeah, yeah, it's the companies that can afford to pay it, right? And so it becomes really hard for for smaller companies like ours to to break in without outside investment, right? Without institutional capital. So what a lot of companies end up doing is they end up getting institutional capital from outside investors in order to grow. Um, But then at some point, what do those investors want? They eventually want their return. So they want to find ways to make the product cheaper and easier and more scalable, right? So um, you get that investor money and all of a sudden, like you have to make a product that can go into Walmart, right? That can can sell to a Walmart customer. So what you have to either make the ingredients cheaper or you have to cut corners some way, right? In order to make that product scale um, as fast as it can scale. So that... It becomes a double-edged sword, right? So you either say, we're not going to take that capital, we're going to grow how we want to grow, um, or we're going to take risks and try to find capital and 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 kind of lose some control over our business and our products and 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 hope that the integrity, you know, stays there um, throughout the course of time. So it's tough. Yeah. Wow, this also makes me never want to use a coupon again for a brand I love. I just want to be like, <laughs> I'm giving you my full dollars for this yeah. because I need to support you in the grocery oh, store. Yeah. It's really wild. I mean... Why is it set up that way? Is it so that, I mean, obviously it's so the grocery stores can make a profit, but why is it so skewed in one direction with the grocery stores? It's like, it almost feels like the brands have no, yeah. no chance. Well, it, it used to not be that way. Um, it used to not be that way. And this is, I mean, even before we even started decades ago, it used to not be such a play to pay model. It used to not be that scheme. And so I think we started to see a lot of things really shift 10 to 15 years ago. Um, when venture capital money started being poured into the food and beverage space. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, traditionally a lot of that venture capital was in tech, right? Um, healthcare, finance, other things. And and a lot of that money started pouring into food and beverage companies. So you had a lot of companies that all of a sudden had a lot of money behind them that they could spend. Um, and then distributors and retailers all of a sudden said, oh, hey, like, we want a piece of all that money, right? You can afford to pay $10,000 per product to get it on the shelf. Like you can afford to pay as $100,000 to be on the in-cap because you just got, you know, a million dollars from investors. And so there was a lot of really easy, cheap money that flowed into the food system over the past decade. That's changed a lot over the past couple of years and, and since COVID. But, but the 10 years pre-2020, just so much venture capital money flowed into food and beverage companies um, because it was seen as, as, it was seen as a good investment. It was seen as stable, right? Everybody has to eat, um, right? And so it, because of that influx of, of cheap venture money and venture capital money by, to the tune of like hundreds of millions of dollars, that changed the industry a lot and really made it largely pay to play. Um, so that, that's that been part of it. And the other part of it, I think, is the consolidation um, of a lot of things, right? Amazon purchased Whole Foods. And so, you know, Whole Foods went from this very, you know, regional, locally focused model to a very kind of conglomerated national model now. And a lot of things have changed um, with retailers like that over the years as, as because it's been a tough environment for natural retailers as well. And so we've seen a lot of um, consolidation with natural retailers and in grocers in the space. And, and, um, they've just gotten bigger, right? And focused a lot more on cost and price. And, and they figured out like, hey, you know, they figured out that they can charge for these things, right? Because there's thousands of new foods com- food companies pop up every single year. And so they say, man, there's 3,000 new food companies that popped up this year. If I can get $10,000 from every single one of them to as my sliding fee to put on the shelf, like they're sitting there counting, you know, counting the the, the extra money that they're making, right? And so it's, the system kind of feeds on itself, right? And it's, it's, 
you know, we're, we're seeing a little bit of pushback from that now from companies, you know, like us and companies that are doing things better that are just saying like, like, you know, we've just said like, I'm not going to pay it. Like, I'm sorry. Like that, that's not it's a win-win insane. for me. Like, it's just yeah. not a win. It's a win for you. And it's not a win for me. Right. Cause I could pay you $10,000, $20,000 to get on the shelf and you could take me off in three months and I'm just SOL. Right. And I'm left holding the bag. Right. And not only am I left holding the bag, but all the farmers and the suppliers that are also doing things the right way down the line, they get hurt as well. Right. And so I think that's something that's, that's, that's definitely not taken into account at the retail and distributor level that those things that they're doing and the costs that they're making these brands pay, it's it's just trickling down the line, especially for the brands that are doing the right thing on the supply side. So, Did you know that blindly taking supplements can end up doing more harm than good? You need to understand what's going on in your body first before you start supplementing. I'm a huge proponent for mineral and vitamin testing so that you know exactly what's going on in your body, what mineral and vitamin deficiencies you have. And then from there, you can decide what vitamins and minerals your body actually needs. I love honed vitamins. They use hair tissue mineral analysis, which is a foundational tool in functional medicine to understand what's going on with your cellular health and metabolism. It is so cool. They send you a little test kit and you send in a clip of your hair. They send it off to their lab. They analyze it and then they come back with the results and they do a metabolic test on your hair, which reveals the status of 29 minerals, including calcium, magnesium, potassium, copper, zinc, iron, selenium, and boron, just to name a few. It also reports on eight heavy metals, including lead, aluminum, and mercury. And then from there, they give you personalized supplements that are sent right to your door every month to keep you on top of your health goals. It's such an easy, simple test to do. There's no blood involved. And then from there, you're actually taking vitamins and minerals that you know that your body truly needs. It's based on your bio-individual needs. And also what's cool about it, as our bodies change, our nutrient status may change over time as well. And so you're able to retest your nutrient status over time to track your progress and then adjust your supplements as needed. If you guys would like to try Honed Vitamins today, use code RealFoodology for 15% off. Go to livehoned.com, that's L-I-V-E-H-O-N-E-D.com and use code RealFoodology and you are going to save 15%. I mean, it should be illegal. It just makes me so mad. And this is just, you know, this is why education around all this is so important so that we can, as the consumer, navigate, you know, better ways and and really figure out where we spend our money. I mean, just thinking about this, like as a consumer and knowing all this, how do, how do we navigate this? Like where, how do we support brands like yours? Like, is it better to buy directly from you on the website? Is it better to buy from the grocery store because you've already paid those fees? Like, how do we navigate that. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that that becomes a double-edged sword too, right? Because online, you know, it seems to be like a really good solution to do, right? But, you know, because of the advent of Amazon, consumers are so used to getting things quickly and cheaply and easy, right? And so they want stuff in two days and they want it shipped to them for free, right? And so inevitably we have to eat a lot of the fulfillment and shipping costs, most of them actually, um, in order to get a consumer product in two or three days, in order to get it to them at a shipping rate that's that they can stomach, right? When when they can get a product on Amazon for free, and I can say, and I'm over here saying, "Hey, the shipping's 10.99 because that's actually what it is." They're going, "What? Well, I'm not gonna, why would I pay for that?" You know. So we may we have a five dollar you know five dollar flat shipping, and we eat the rest, and we eat a lot of the fulfillment costs. So at the end of the day, like we don't really make a lot more money um, online on most of our orders because we have to eat so much of the cost because 
consumers don't understand the true cost of shipping and the true cost of fulfillment, you know, and, and I'm saying, hey, I'm, I, we pay our people a living wage, right? Pay them much more than a living wage, right? And so, like, I'm not going to cheap out, you know, my fulfillment team and I'm not going to cheap out on the shipping um, so you can get it for free and in two days, right? And so we have to inevitably eat a lot of that cost. So, you know, I, you know, I, I think buying at retail is a good option too, um, because that's how companies can scale, right? In order to scale um, as a small company that's doing the right thing, you have to be able to build a really good story in retail. Um, you have to be able to say, hey, look at my sales here in HEB. You know, look at, look at, look at how they're improving year over year. Look at my, you know, repeat purchase rate or look how many customers are coming back to buy it. You have to be able to build that story. And if you can build a successful story in one retailer, you know, locally or regionally, then, then you have a case to say, hey, if I can be successful here in my home state of Texas, then then this is something that I can scale to two, three, four states regionally, semi-nationally, or even nationally, right? And so I think, you know, finding local companies that are producing locally and supporting them at your local natural food stores, because a lot of companies, they'll start at their local mom and pop, right? The local, you know, if it's a two, a one chain store, two chains, three chains, you know, go into those stores, you know, and, and, and a lot of those, you know, store managers or buyers or store owners will know the brands directly, right? Because it might be the first store that that brand has ever sold in, right? And, and go to those local, you know, really small local mom and pop natural retailers and say, hey, what new brands do you have this month, right? Or what new brands, um, what are new brands you've had this year? Or like, what are some really good products that are doing really great things? Um, because those stores will allow a lot of brands to tell their story a lot better on shelves as well. They don't have the same kind of you know uniform policies that a lot of large retailers will. So they'll allow more shelf space or whatever maybe for those brands to tell stories. So you can really find unique brands, smaller brands that are doing the right thing and learn more about their story and talk to those store owners and store managers and really help those brands build a compelling story at that really small local level to give them kind of the resources and, and the story that they need to, to go to a store like Whole Foods or HEB and say, hey, like I'm doing really well at this local retailer. Look at you know how many units I've been purchased every single week. You know, they've got customers that are raving about me, but they want to find me in in larger stores, right? And uh, and so I, th I think that would be kind of the best option, I would say, is to, is to work, a sm work small and local um, where you can with the small brands and help them build a compelling story to be able to scale the good work that they're, that they're doing. That's so helpful because, you know, I get questions from people all the time. It's probably one of the biggest questions I get on my Instagram is just people knowing how messed up our food system is. And I get questions of like, as a consumer, what can we do? Like, how can we change this? Because, you know, we really do, I mean, exactly what you just said is a perfect example of where we put our money really drives the trends. And I think we just more than ever, it is so incredibly important that we really do our research into the brands and know that they are one doing what they are actually saying, you know, and not lying about it which is harder to, you know, to figure out, but like there are ways to figure that out. And also just finding those brands that are really, really doing best for our health because what we have to understand is that just because something is on the shelf does not mean that it's necessarily healthy and or vetted for us. Like, honestly, I don't think people understand the disconnect that the FDA and the USDA really has. Like it's, they're really not looking out for us as as well as people think, you know? And Big, big disconnect, yeah. Yeah, there's a huge disconnect there, you know? And right now with a lot of these larger food companies, they are so focused on profit. They don't care about health. And we need to, as a consumer, start demanding better and putting our money into brands and food companies that are actually providing healthy food over profit. Yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. And you, you brought up a good point with, with the FDA and USDA, right? Because it's, you know, we can't use the word healthy. Legally, we cannot use the word healthy on our bag of granola because it's got too much fat, right? Regardless of that fat's coming from walnuts, right? It, it, it 
qualifies under FDA law as not being able to use the term healthy, right? And so it's crazy that we have to, that, that, that we're sitting here going, wow, like this, you know, box of Fruit Loops, you know, technically can say things that I can't even say on my bag of granola um, because of how of how skewed kind of the FDA rules are and 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 lobbies over the years. It's 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 just another way in which it's just completely broken. Yeah. Well, that's like it reminds me of I went to Costco recently and found a massive container of corn oil and it had a big heart healthy stamp on the front. <laughs> and I was like, this is insane. This is insane. How can we say that this is heart healthy? And I guarantee you probably because of the fat content and you're, you're you probably couldn't even put the heart healthy nope, stamp can't on put your, heart symbol. Can't put a heart symbol. Which yeah, is insane fat. because your food is what I would be considered to be heart healthy and would probably actually lower your cholesterol while the corn oil is definitely 100% raising your cholesterol and not helping your heart at all. So I, I just, yeah, I mean, and, and again, like I want people to hear this from, from your standpoint as a food business owner, how much regulation is really actually happening with the FDA and like the USDA? Like I, I've heard that it's often like the fox guarding the hen house where you just basically have to present, you as a company have to present like this ingredient, like we found it's healthy and safe. So like, we're going to use it and the FDA is like, okay, cool. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a little bit of the wild, it can be a little bit of the wild west for sure. Um, it can be a little bit of the wild west. I mean, the FDA can, can give their stamp of approval on something that they call grass, right. Which is, which stands for generally recognized as safe. Right. And so like, but when I hear that, I go, well, I don't want to eat something that's generally, generally recognized as like, what does that even mean? What does generally recognized as safe mean? Um, yeah. And it means that, that, that there's that room. Me it, yeah. Right. And it means that there's a lot of room for a possibility of it not being safe. Yeah. So stuff like that just makes me crack up whenever I see new ingredients or new, you know, additives being, being given grass approval by the FDA, because I just, again, as, as a consumer, like I wouldn't want to, you know, if, if you went to the store and they said, Hey, can, you know, is this going to kill me? Well, generally no. Like, is that <laughs> like something what? that you, like, would you, would you eat the sample? Like probably like generally no, like pro I'm probably not going to put that in my mouth. Like I'm probably not going to eat it. Right. But. Okay. Well, if you but, think you about know. like, <laughs> Think about if we were on a ranch, I was just on a ranch last week and we're walking around on the land and I find a berry and I ask my friend who owns the ranch, like, do you think this would kill me? And they're like, generally, like, probably not. I'm not going to eat it because chances are of it being poisonous could possibly happen. So like, doesn't really give me a vote of confidence that it's not going to be bad yeah. for me. Yeah. You generally know, recognized as generally recognized as not killing people, but I mean, it's general. So, you know, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. Some of the, some of the, some of the terminology and things that are used and, and to describe food and food additives. Yeah. 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 And it's a lot of these, I was actually just having another conversation on, on another podcast where he was talking about this very similar thing about just the generally recognized and how we don't, we just don't regulate our food as much. And there's a lot of confidence being put in the actual companies that are providing their food. And there's not really any checkpoints. Like no one's checking up on them, making sure that they are actually doing the things that they say that they're doing. Many come And look, I'm, I'm not saying that there's a total free-for-all and that there's no regulation at all. That is not what I'm saying. And I know people love to put words in my mouth. I am not saying that there's not any sort of regulations. But what I am saying is that People are putting way more confidence into these regulating bodies than they should be because they're not regulating as much as we think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and it's, it's, you know, and I, I can understand that from their perspective too, because, you know, what I mentioned earlier, thousands of new food products hit the shelves every year. Like 
how is one organization gonna going to regulate thousands of new food products with with hundred you know with with all the different ingredients and all of like it's just it's just not possible right you would need you know the amount of people you would need to truly regulate everything that hits a store shelf um in any way shape or form it, it you know it's not realistic and so it's it's that's part of it too right it's just it's just there's so much that's that's becoming new and hitting shelves and it's it's incredibly easy for someone to kind of whip something up in their you know their home kitchen and say hey i made this somewhere let me go sell it um it's incredibly hard to regulate that you know at the, at that scale so it's 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 tough so yeah so you've got to as a consumer you have to do a lot of that kind of self-regulation yourself knowing that like there's just it's not possible for for all of these things to be vetted and regulated as much as they really should be yeah yeah and actually uh vonnie hari the food babe she reported this, I don't remember, it was probably like five years ago now, where the FDA actually admitted that they don't even have the manpower to regulate everything that's being put on the shelves. Because like you said, there is so much coming out every year that they just can't keep up. And we're not giving them a pass, but it's just, again, a reminder for the consumer that no one's coming to save you. No one else is taking care of your health if you don't do it for yourself. Like you have to be proactive. You have to look for the brands and the companies that are doing right by our health. Like, I'm sorry. It's just the reality of the situation that we live in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So as we're coming to an end, um, is there anything about anything we talked about today, like distribution or, you know, the retail exploitation, anything about regenerative farming, like really just anything that maybe we didn't cover that you feel like is really important for people to hear? Um, great question to catch all. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I, you know, I think you said it really well. You said the, the impetus needs to be on people to kind of do this work for themselves, um, and take, take some of the time and energy and effort to, to, to look out for things. Right. And, and because there's deception all over the place, there's deception on the farmer side, right. There's deception on the marketing side and on the retailer side. And, and it, and at the end of the day, like all of this, you know, you know, we can sit here and, and and bash you know all these people all day right at the end of the day like you've got to take your health into your own hands right and 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 so kudos to you for everything that you're doing to educate consumers on how to do that right because that's because that's so important right because most people they don't know where to start and they don't know how they're like okay well this is great like i'd love to look out for these things but how do i do that like what do i do like what what keywords am i looking for what ingredients am i supposed to not be looking for or looking for right and and a lot of people don't know and so a lot of that just comes down to like we need more people educating people like you're doing on like what what to look for when they go into stores you know how to shop around what to look for on certain products um what things to avoid and then 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 we get in a situation where people don't just grab something something because it says keto right they grab something because they're like hey like this has a lot of seed oil in it like you know or this you know this has this has dyes in it or this has additives in it um you know so we've got to be able to educate people on the right things to look for um and and then the, the right things not to look for so yeah Yeah, I think that's really, really good advice. And I also, I always like to end these podcasts on a really, you know, happy and hopeful note because I know a lot of this feels heavy and doom and gloom. And like, you know, I I just don't want people, you know, just throwing up their hands in the air and being like, well, I guess there's nothing we can do about it. Everything's effed, you know? And I, I I don't feel that way at all. You know, I feel very empowered knowing all of this because... I feel empowered knowing that I can make the right decisions and knowing what to look for and what brands to put my money into. And so I think part of this requires a reframing in the brain of just being like, look, there are a lot of amazing people, yourself included, that are working so 
hard to change this. They're working so hard to create healthy food products for you, for your family, so that we have these choices, so we have these options. So there's a lot of good happening right now. I would encourage people to watch Kiss the Ground, watch Common Ground. It will give you a lot of hope about a lot of people that are very involved in this on so many different facets, like from farmers to doctors to you know registered dietitians to people creating food products, like everyone. There's a lot of people involved and there's a lot of people paying attention to this and really care and want to make a difference. And so I just want to remind people that there's we've not lost all hope. Thank God we have people like you that are doing this the right way. And now it is up to us as the consumer to swallow that, know that this is happening and do the right thing and put our money where, you know, where it yeah, should go. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you completely. Right. It's, it's, it's trending in the right direction. It really is. Right. We're seeing a lot of big companies, you know, put a lot of money and resources and effort behind regenerative agriculture, right? And whether it's genuine or not, they're doing something about it, right? They're putting they're, they're putting their money into those things, right? We're seeing, you know, what's happening in California with them with them outlawing dyes and things like that. So there, there's there's things that are moving in the right direction for sure. There's a lot of people doing a lot, a lot of really good things um, to move, to, to, to fix the broken food system and move it in the right direction, right? And there's a reckoning happening, I think, with consumers as well. Um, when they're noticing like, man, like, you know, and we noticed it down here in San Antonio, right? When you, Three months out of the year, you can't really go outside between noon and 5 p.m. because it's too hot. People are going, there's got to be something we can do about this, right? It's, it's, we're starting to see a reckoning of consumers realizing like, man, we're really screwing things up for ourselves. And if I want my children and my children's children to have like a habitable planet to live on, something has to change, right? And, and there's a reckoning that's starting to happen. And so there's, there's a lot of people that are really doing some great things out there for sure. Yeah. And you know how we fix that high heat is regenerative farming, guys, because it pulls the carbon out of the atmosphere. This actually gave me so much hope. I was actually in San Antonio last week, which I wish I had known because I would have come <laughs> by and said hi to you guys in the office. But we were at my parents' friend's ranch. And these are like deep South Texas, like their family has been here forever, for generations. They were talking about how a lot of their friends are really starting to pay attention to regenerative farming now. Like a lot of their friends are now buying up land, regenerative land. Like they're just starting to pay attention more. Like ranchers and farmers are wanting to do more regenerative practices. Like the fact that they're talking about this in Texas, I was like, whoa. Yeah. And they were talking about how a lot of their friends are throwing a lot of money into this now, which is a really big deal. So people are definitely paying attention and they're recognizing that this is really important. Well, I want to ask you a question that I ask all of my guests, and this is a personal one, and I'm curious to hear what yours are. So what are your health non-negotiables? These are things you do daily, maybe weekly to really prioritize your own health. Yeah. Um, first will be uh, a noon workout every day. Um, it's a non-negotiable. Um, I go to CrossFit at noon every single day. Um, it's a non-negotiable for me. Um, our team knows that I do it. They know that I'm just do not, don't bother me with anything. No emails, no phone calls, no nothing from like 11.45 to 1.15 because I'm out. Um, eight hours of sleep is another non-negotiable for me. I have to have sleep. I think that's so important. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big sleep guy. I've got like the really bougie, like chili pad on my mattress that like keeps me at like a certain temperature. So that the, the sleep thing is super important to me. Um, eight hours is, is definitely non-negotiable, um, as a health thing. Um, but I would say the last non-negotiable also is, is, uh, maybe a little counterintuitive, but it's moderation, right? Because everything has to happen in moderation, right? And and so I always keep that in mind um, too. That like it's it's like it's okay to like 
cheat a little bit on the weekend, right? That like that you have to have that moderation, right? Like like you know you you're in this business like me and like you are, right? You know so much about food, right? To the point where like you almost don't want to eat anything, right? You can get to that point where you're like I don't I don't want to go out to eat anywhere, I don't want to eat anything, you know. But at the same time, like you have to like live life as well, and so you just you just have to keep that in mind of of like knowing that like hey. If, you know, I'm not going to be perfect all the time. It's just not going to happen. Um, and that's, that's just kind of part of life. And so I think keeping that in mind is, is, is important. So. I'm so glad you brought that up. I've started doing this more on my Instagram because I, I think people think that I live this like perfect diet lifestyle where it's like, I, everything's organic and, you know, I'm not a perfect, I'm not a perfectionist with it at all. And I've started posting things that I eat that people would not normally think that I would. And I remind them, I'm like, it's about consistency, not perfection. Am I eating this crap every single day? No. Am I eating fast food? No, I haven't eaten fast food in like 20 years, but I'm thinking more specifically of a time when I was in San Antonio and I grew up eating Tex-Mex. It is my favorite food. I love it. Every time I go to San Antonio, I we go we went to La Fonda for dinner. I had cheesy enchiladas and refried beans and chips and salsa and queso and the whole damn thing. And you know what? I can do that and be okay because I don't eat that every single day. Again, it's yeah. about consistency, not perfection. And I was so happy eating that food. I was like, "Oh, this is like childhood." <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a great reminder yeah. that, you know, um, consistency, eat those good, healthy, whole, real foods as much as you can, but then also like live, go out to dinner with your friends, have chips and queso, have a margarita, you know, it's, yeah. Please let everyone know where they can find Wildway and you obviously, if you want to be found or if you just want to plug Wildway, however you want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So you can find us in here in Texas, you can find us in HEB and Whole Foods, um, Sprouts, Natural Grocers, um, all over the place. You can find us in, in Whole Foods in California and New York as well. You can find our new regenerative organic certified oatmeal line um, in Whole Foods in Southern California and up in the New York area. Um, amazing product with some really cool flavors and it supports regenerative agriculture and the Regenerative Organic Alliance. So please go check that out um, and support the amazing farmers that are growing things, growing things the right way, for sure. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I really yes. appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. If you liked the episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let me know. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Mike Fry. The theme song is called Heaven by the amazing singer Georgie. Georgie is spelled with a J. For more amazing podcasts produced by my team, go to resonantmediagroup.com. I love you guys so much. See you next week. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and doesn't constitute a provider-patient relationship. I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. As always, talk to your doctor or your health team first. Do you suffer from IBS or other digestive issues? Are you looking for a new podcast to listen to? From the producer of the Real Foodology podcast comes the all-new health and nutrition podcast, Digest This, hosted by Bethany Ugardi. You may know Bethany as the face of the popular Instagram page, Lil Sipper, or you may have even read her book. Now you can find her wherever you get your podcasts. On Digest This, Bethany examines topics such as gut health, nutrition, the food industry, and highlights specific ingredients that can be beneficial or harmful to your gut health. She also explores non-toxic options in beauty, home, and cooking essentials. If it has to do with your health, Digest This is talking about it. Each episode features an interview with health experts, doctors, and wellness advocates, and delivers you information that is, well, easy to digest. 
Bethany also delivers a weekly segment every episode called Bite of Knowledge, where she highlights an ingredient commonly used in food, skincare, household cleaning, you name it, and gives you the lowdown on the benefits or dangers that ingredient might have in your everyday life. From Botox, potassium, olive oil, and magnesium, all the way to those ingredients you can barely pronounce on the back of your cereal boxes, Bethany has you covered. There's a reason why it debuted at number two on Apple Podcast Nutrition Charts. Check out Digest This on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Monday and Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resonant Media.